the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Uh, Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. A lot to talk about to get ourselves wrapped around old Pro-America tonight. It's Ed Martin. Great to be with you. Thank you for taking the time to be here on the program or be listening to be listening to the program. You're not all going to be on the program, but thank you for listening to the program live. If you're listening on the radio, appreciate it. If you're listening on the podcast or in a segment or something here, pass it on to your friends. We appreciate you spreading the word. I was in an event in Florida yesterday. A woman came up and said, I love to listen to your show. I listen to your show as a podcast. My friend said, what are you listening to? I said, I'm listening to a show. Um, in, this is Naples, Florida. On in, it airs in San Diego, and the woman said, "Why are you listening to a show in San Diego?" And she said, "Well, the host actually lives in Virginia." And the woman said, "What are you talking about?" Anyway, the point is, people are listening. People are listening. You need the Pro America Report. You find it wherever you can, and uh, please do go to edmartinlive.com. Best way to get yourself tied into everything we're doing is go to edmartinlive.com. Sign up for our email blast there, edmartinlive.com. Every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time, you'll get what you need to know in your in- inbox, uh, and you won't regret it. And so please do that. Also follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin and on Facebook, Ed Martin Live. And uh, also, of course, the answer San dot com is where you can track all our stuff. So, well, I thought earlier today when I watched um, Bernie Sanders uh, do a short speech, I thought, man, that's going to be what I'm going to lead the show off with. I'm going to talk about what Bernie Sanders is doing. And then the rest of the day happened. And in just the last few minutes, uh, the rest of the day happened. So uh, I've shifted things around, and we've got to start talking about the c- coronavirus. The I called it the China virus. Clearly, the president is unwilling to uh, pick a fight with China and join me in calling it the China virus. I suppose I'll I will join him now in calling it the coronavirus. Uh, but um, you know, it obviously came from China. Really was caused by China's uh, messiness, I suppose. The best way to say it, either messiness or worse. Uh, but that's what we have to talk about. Uh, earlier today, the president announced by Twitter, via Twitter, that he would address the nation. Just a few minutes ago, he did address the nation from the Oval Office. A fairly somber address. His tie was subdued, as was his tone which I think were all messages. He looked serious and presidential. Um, And before we talk about what he said and what happened within moments of his uh, speech, which is really striking, we can think and talk about the timing of what happened around his speech, two major events. Um, Before we do that, I just want to give you a thought uh, exercise. Uh, I want you to think this through. This is the best way I can think of it, and I was, it was someone else uh, put me onto this, and I've sort of fine-tuned it to walk you through it. But when you hear people say that, well, there's a bad flu, we've had a bad flu in the past, the H1N1 flu a few years ago was really bad, and by the way, one of my colleagues at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, the organization which, of which I'm president, uh, when she had the H1N1 flu a few years ago, and just two days ago she was telling me it was the sickest she's ever been in her life. She said she just felt terrible for days and days and days, just weak and, and you know, could sit up, drink, drink a sip of water, and lay back down exhausted. And so that was the H1N1, and that was a big deal a few years ago. 
But here's the thing. We've had, let's just say in the last 10 years, we've had three or four major flu uh, flus that have swept across the world, including in Europe. So they always start in China, by the way. That's where they start. They always start in China for lots of reasons that we can't go into tonight. But here's my point. Um, Italy, like America, has had those flus, the H1N1. And I checked this out today to confirm it. And they had the numbers are staggering, right? The number of people that died. I think I think there's the regular flu, like last year's flu or the one we're in right now, is infecting, you know, 30 or 40 million people and, uh, you know, 150,000 are in the hospital, hospitalized and, you know, 10 or 15 or 18 or 20,000 have died, something like that. And the H1N1 was bigger than that. Big numbers. But here's the exercise I want you to think about. No matter what, and I can confirm this for you, those flus, no matter how bad they were, they never filled the hospitals in America, and they never filled the hospitals in Italy. Just think what I'm saying. At the height of these terrible, terrible flus, you never had a report, and I went back and did searches for this to confirm it. There was never a single report, it didn't happen, that the hospitals in Italy were full or that they ran out of medical supplies, or they didn't have enough uh, ventilators. What's happening in Italy today, right now, is they don't have enough beds in hospitals. They've canceled all non-essential surgeries. I mean, they'll do an open-heart surgery if you're about to die, maybe, but they won't fix your leg. If you break your leg uh, in a terrible way, they'll just say, wrap it up, we'll get to you later. Because every single bed and every single room and every single professional, medical health care professional, every single respirator, every single uh, a piece of equipment is being used and more. And the reports out of Italy that they published, the Italian health system published, are that they're deciding who to live or die based on who's younger and stronger because they can't save everybody else. I mean, you're hearing me right. So if the other flus were bad... This flu, this coronavirus, is somehow dramatically different and causing that effect. And you can't explain that by just saying, well, well, it's just a panic. It's just cable TV. So there you have it. I mean, think about that. 196 people died in the last 24 hours in Italy from the coronavirus. They're, they're triaging. That's not the right word. They're not triaging. They're deciding who lives and dies in Italy based on the fact that there's not enough medical equipment and, and, health, and health care and beds and health care professionals. That's what's happened. This is different. Coronavirus is different. It doesn't mean, and let me be clear what you need to know, it doesn't mean that it's coming for you. The odds are very small it's coming for you if you're listening. But if you're in certain groups, over 65, having other ailments, respiratory or otherwise, Asthma. Yeah, I mean, this is a problem. And so here's the thing. The president today said he's going to do a uh, an Oval Office address. The NCAA said no one's going to attend any of the, the March Madness games except for the players. So the president gives his talk and he says something nobody expected to hear. I didn't expect it. No travel from Europe to here because Europe is a mess. By the way, one detail. Uh, Italy asked the EU... Germany and everybody else in the EU for help. No one's helping Italy so much for the EU community. They're, they're literally not, not joking. This is not a joke. I'm not making this a dramatic. They're dying in Italy for medical equipment and nobody in the EU is helping. Think about that. So anyway, but back to my point here, the president has, has this um, uh, Oval Office address this evening. 
And he says, no travel, 30-day ban to Europe or from Europe uh, because we don't want to keep track of bringing this stuff in. And he said, we're going to get billions of dollars to try to get small business and et cetera, et cetera. Within minutes of his speech, the NBA canceled the season. The National Basketball Association canceled the season. They have a player that's infected and they canceled the season. Tom Hanks and his wife announced they have coronavirus. And you get the point. It's a pile on. Here's my point to you. The president of the United States knows more than you do, knows more than I do. He doesn't do an Oval Office address because he thinks people are misunderstanding the facts. He knows what's happening. And the key for all of us, all of you that are listening, what you need to know right now is it's really, really simple. What we can do to help our neighbors and our friends and ourselves And that is do everything we can to slow the spread of this insidious disease, this virus, so that we get further into the year and we do things like get some things that can help, some medicines, antivirals, maybe some vaccines, but also get towards the summer where generally viruses will have a harder time lasting. We'll get a break by the time we get to April and May. The temperature and the humidity going up will make a difference. So we have to slow. If we do stupid stuff like China and Italy did, where they allowed people to come in and everybody get infected at once, we're going to have a huge problem. So we have to be part of the kind of stall the virus, you know, stall the the disease. We have to spread it out so that our system can, because the vulnerable in this case are the classic vulnerable that we ought to know better and we ought to love better than ourselves. It's our, it's our, you know, honor your mother and father. It's in the Bible and, and our elders and those that are wounded and hurt and sick. Those who are who this coronavirus is coming for. It's not coming for you and me, the healthy ones, although it could be very dangerous for us. Don't, I'm not, I don't want to be too glib. But what you need to know is the president of the United States sent a message tonight that's about, hey, we can do it. And we can do it, by the way. It's no problem. This is not, I mean, it's not a problem. It's a problem, but there's, no, there's nothing we can't do. But you better take it seriously. I flew up from Florida today on the plane. They closed Virginia schools. They closed, uh, uh, they're, they're closing, um, all, you know, the colleges and saying stay home because there's no reason to put a bunch of kids in a college kids in the same room and space and, you know, drinking beer and hanging out and all that kind of stuff. They're all, they're all trying to slow the spread, slow the spread, spread out the risk and take care of people. It's a huge and wonderful challenge, but it's very, very serious. And the next couple of weeks are going to be extraordinary, and we all have to do our part. So we'll have a lot more coverage on this, and we'll have you. But let me listen closely. Salem Radio Network has some great people, commentary, commentators, and, and, and uh, news throughout the um, throughout the network that are delivering a good news, a good good news, a smart news on this. But pay attention, as the president said tonight. Listen to the experts. Pay attention. Do the basics. Wash your hands, keep yourself healthy, uh, take care of yourself, social distance. You know, don't go to big events for a while. You know, don't, don't try to, you know, don't, take, take it easy. And focus on the people in your community that are vulnerable, the seniors and others in need. All right, we'll take a break. We'll take a break. We come back. Uh, we got a lot more. I got to tell you what's happening with uh, Joe Biden and that election. It's going to get fascinating. It would be really, really fun if it weren't for how serious this uh, coronavirus thing is. So, But we'll take a break and come back. And uh, it's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. 
The Answer, San Diego. Streaming now on smart speakers and radio.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here. It's a Pro-America Report, and I, I we, we need to get an update on the race. Uh, the uh, Very important. This is a... This is going to explain to you in the next uh, maybe eight minutes, nine minutes, explain to you exactly what is going to happen, what's happening with the uh, Democrat race. It's not I haven't heard anybody say this. I did. I went up on Twitter earlier today and I tweeted this to see if I could beat everybody out to to the race. But I called it the Bernie, the the uh, Bernie trap, the Bernie trap today. Bernie Sanders uh, did the the sort of. Um, uh, what do you, I don't want. To, I don't like to use the phrase "be a." Well, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say it. I, a ballsiest. I know that's not because there's a lot of kids that listen to the show. Like the toughest, the sort of uh, you know the the um, most chutzpah. That's good for Bernie. That a candidate's done in, in a long time. I can remember vividly standing in line to get my tickets to the presidential debate at Washington University in St. Louis. It was Billy Bush weekend, and it was Sunday afternoon, about three o'clock, and we were picking up our tickets, my wife and I, to go to the debate. And as we were picking them up, someone texted me and said, "Trump, President Donald Trump is having a candidate. Trump is having a press conference." And he was all weekend long. They've been asking questions. What's he going to do? This video came out. The audio came out. It's all terribly embarrassing. It's disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And what was he doing? He was having a press conference with the women who had been sexually assaulted by Bill Clinton. And I turned to my wife and I said, yep, I thought he was going to act like a normal candidate and apologize. He's doubling down. Bernie Sanders doubled down today. He doubled down. He's not quitting. He's going all the way. But he did it in not just in the way that a usual whiner candidate does, where they step up and say, I'm not going anywhere. My people must be served and all that. No, no. Bernie Sanders did the, just the toughest double down play you've seen. I call it the Bernie trap. Watch what he did. He had, he got beat on on uh, mini Super Tuesday yesterday, right? He lost in uh, all the places, lost in places he won last time, but he still won some delegates, and he's still kind of in the race. He's getting beat on the delegates, beat on the votes. Uh, it doesn't seem like he has any momentum. But meanwhile, his opponent Joe Biden has been stumbling and mumbling, and by literally stumbling and mumbling through things. Uh, my wife was telling me a term. Um, you know, she's a physician. She said not to quote her. So I'm not actually quoting her, um, uh, but I'm, I'm quoting a discussion with her. There's a term. My wife, of course, is a geriatrics physician. Uh, she's actually a physician for old people. And she does all these kinds of tests all the time and tests people for dementia and all that stuff. So she knows this business. And she said there's a phrase you use that's called diminished executive function, which is the term for when you see someone who's losing it in terms of like making decisions and making things happen just a little bit slower than you expect something somebody you know if you're if it's a family member you know someone well enough and you're seeing that they're just a little bit slower with kind of decision making and with getting words out it's called diminished executive function and every day america's watching joe biden's diminished executive function including bernie sanders so Bernie Sanders today did a press conference and he set up 
Joe Biden, he put they laid the Bernie trap, the greatest political trap in my lifetime. He said to the, the cameras and all the media jumped on it. He said, millions of people are telling us that we agree with you, Bernie Sanders, but we're going to vote for Joe Biden because he's better versus Donald Trump. And, and all the CNN commentators said, ah, what an admission. Bernie Sanders just admitted that Joe Biden's better. That's not what he admitted. He admitted that people say that to him. He admitted, frankly, that the media has conditioned everyone to think that. That's what Bernie laid the trap. That's the trap he laid. And then he said, I'm staying in the race and I look forward to the first one-on-one -on -one debate. And on Sunday night on CNN, one-on-one -on -one with Joe Biden, I'm going to ask him the following questions. And he listed like eight or ten questions. What are you going to do on this? What are you going to do on that? What All the hard questions on uh, illegal immigration, on Medicare for all, on uh, the uh, wage, the federal uh, minimum wage, all these questions. And basically, he assigned Joe Biden and his campaign a list of issues that they should cover that he's going to come after. him. Now, here's something you don't know. You will now. People with diminishing executive function, people facing these problems, do worse under pressure. Pressure and stress makes it worse. So now Joe Biden has five days to get ready for this big one-on-one -on -one debate. And Bernie Sanders was as sweet as syrup. He was, oh, my friend uh, Joe. He didn't attack him. He just said, let's go see. And what Joe Biden has laid out is a trap. Excuse me. What Bernie Sanders has laid out is a trap for Joe Biden. Because on Sunday night, when Joe Biden stumbles and fumbles, he will, the, country, the people watching will think, oh, well, maybe he isn't as good as a matchup. Maybe he's not going to be able to stand up to Trump. And when he says something ridiculous, like 150 million people have died from guns, which is what Joe Biden said last month, or when he gets mad at one of the people and calls him an a-hole or whatever, picture it. Bernie Sanders is going to be standing there looking and saying, hey, I think that if we just tell these Democrats to vote for me, they, they'll recognize that it's better than voting for you. You don't look well. He had nothing to lose, Bernie Sanders. The only if Bernie Sanders had done the usual playbook of sort of capitulating to the, the powers that be, he would have been a footnote in history. Instead, he doubled down and watched the pressure on Biden ratchet up. Now, there's, he's not going to have any nobody's going to have any kind of rallies or anything. So it's going to be Biden doing six minute speeches and four minute interviews. But they can't hide him forever. And they can't hide him for two hours on CNN. They already said there's no crowd there. It's just going to be them and on stage. There's not going to be an audience because of the coronavirus stuff. So there's no hiding. They already said Joe Biden can sit down. He doesn't have to stand. But for two hours, he's going to have to answer questions. And that, I'm telling you, the Bernie, the amazing Bernie trap that he laid for Joe Biden is going to snap it's going to snap closed, and either it does it between now and Sunday or Sunday or soon after. And if I'm Bernie Sanders, I, I can't quit. Bernie Sanders cannot quit because there's a good chance, it's got to be 50-50, that Joe Biden cracks up by the convention. And so Sanders needs to be in the race to say, well, if he cracks up, I'm the second place guy. Don't go to somebody else. I'm right here. All right, that's what that's that. That's what you needed to know. That you needed to know what the Bernie trap looked like, and that's what it is. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk with John Schlafly. We haven't talked to John Schlafly this week. We'll get the Schlafly report right after the break. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Be right back. Streaming now at theanswersandiego.com and radio.com. 
The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Our old friend John Schlafly. I was with him last night in Naples, Florida. Around this time, we were I think we were solving most of the problems of the world. We didn't know the problems would include, uh, well, it wouldn't include... Um, Joe Biden surging and Bernie Sanders staying in and then coronavirus. There's a lot to cover. But, of course, you know John Schlafly and his brother Andy from their column, the weekly column that appears, the Schlafly Report, over on our sister site, which is at townhall.com. But also you can uh, you can find it on phyllisschlafly.com, always archive, archive there. Well, John, it's one of those weeks where it feels like your story, the column, which was only posted uh, yesterday at the title, is Virginia Liberals Embrace Gambling and Gun Control. I'm not sure anybody is noticing that right now. I guess maybe they should. But uh, welcome back, John. How are you? Well, I'm I'm, I'm good, Ed. How are you? Yes, you know, uh, the, the, the state was you know, smuggling through some new legislation while nobody was paying attention due to the national uh, uh, focus on coronavirus and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, and you know, I, oh, and I should, we should say one of the, honestly, I mean, it's serious when I say this, as a crisis goes on in one place, there's nothing like, uh, at the state level especially, them just moving ahead, right? I mean, you can, you, can, you can say what you want about our disagreement with the Democrats in the Virginia House of Delegates and the Virginia Senate and the Virginia governor. They've certainly done what they said they were going to do when they won the election in, in, in November of 18. They just moved right ahead. I mean, they're marching through. They passed the ERA, which didn't matter, but they passed other things. I mean, it is, they are charging ahead. Um, John, do you here's a question, different question. Do you think that the, the voters are will pay attention enough in, in those kinds of states um, to have an effect on the fall? And meaning, you know, the first month of this year, people were marching on um, on uh, the Capitol in Richmond. But it feels like so long ago already that I don't know if the voters will remember. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Do you think that it? Do you think? Do you feel like the uh, political winds are blowing in one direction against these kind of liberal moves, or is it sort of choppy seas right now? Well, the political winds are certainly blowing, and uh, whatever are the top one or two topics that the media uh, focuses on, is that that's going to drive the debate, and that's certainly uh, the coronavirus is certainly one. Uh, the uh, sharp drop in the stock market, which, you know, by the way, the biggest part of the stock market is really the, what happened to oil due to Saudi Arabia uh, having a price war with Russia on the price of oil. But still, all of these factors are combining to create turmoil in the presidential election. That's certainly true. And I'm looking forward to the next debate, the one-on-one debate between uh, Sleepy Joe and, and, and Crazy Bernie. <laughs> Just the, Bernie. Two, well, just, let me pa- the, just the two of them <laughs> since they said that Tulsi cannot participate. Yeah, that's right. Someone said, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Yang said, someone asked, what are the rules for the next debate? And he said, uh, whatever's required is is one more than whatever Tulsi Gabbard has. That's how they're going to do that. And of course they did. Let me pause, John. John, we're talking with John Schlafly. Let me pause, John, and ask you a question about the Russia-Saudi Arabia thing. When that first broke, because 
For those of you that are just listening, we talked uh, two nights ago about this. Um, Russia and Saudi Arabia both are, are lowering the cost of, of because they can produce oil fairly cheaply, especially Russia. They're lowering the cost. They're in a price war, lowering, lowering, lowering the price of a barrel of oil. And it's having the effect of driving the American shale producers in Pennsylvania and out in Montana and other places almost out of business overnight because they, they, it's more expensive to do that. It, are either of those countries to blame, John? I've not found somebody that can explain. Is this Russia messing with us? Is it Saudi Arabia messing with Russia and us? I mean, if I'm Donald Trump, I'm looking at it saying, man, whatever, whoever's doing this, he, he's treated Saudi Arabia pretty darn nicely. You know, he when they killed Khashoggi, Donald Trump held back from being too quick with the denunciations as others jumped in. And obviously with Russia, he tries to get along with Putin. But th- this is a killer for a kill shot for parts of Pennsylvania work. Who, why is this happening? What, what's your op- opinion? Do you know? Well, it appears that this new uh, young prince in Saudi Arabia is throwing his, his weight around, and he's, he's gonna, planning to be the, the, the new monarch, and this is part of his strategy. That's what appears to me. Of course, nobody really knows what goes on inside that creepy and crazy country, but Saudi Arabia is the one <laughs> country which can break the cartel, because all they have to do is open the valve a little bit more, and there's just an endless supply of oil to flood the market. And uh, and the world has gotten used to a floor under the price of oil for the last 50 years due to OPEC, and uh, uh, but it's not necessarily the case. And a lot of Americans are suffering as a result of the sudden and sharp drop in the price of oil. That is, when I say Americans uh, who are producing oil through shale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John, you know, one thing I was going to say about this, uh, not that we pick winners and losers necessarily, although, of course, we do a little bit. But Saudi Arabia really doesn't seem like our friend often. And, you know, whether, whatever you think about Putin, and I, you know, probably, this will probably be controversial when Media Matters listens, they'll post this one and say something about me. But Putin at least has a country that they're, they're a Christian country. They, they are, you know, they have religious. I mean, they, they have some policies. I mean, obviously, there's some real corruption there, but they have policies that are more directionally towards what we would say is pro-family and other things. I mean, if you're looking at I mean, their economy is on the ropes themselves, even more than even more than certainly more than Saudi Arabia is obviously, but more than people realize. So, you know, if you had to pick winners and losers there, I, I'd like Russia to be more sustained than they are. But but let's move on. Let's move one more. Let's go back to this debate. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. John, at this point, again, you've watched these guys up close. Um, are, are, is there any chance the Democrats are actually going to come to their senses? Are they or have they just sort of baked into it that, OK, Joe Biden may seem like an old fool or, you know what I mean, seem a little bit off. They just don't mind that. Or do you think there's some chance he really stumbles? Well, uh, Ed, I don't know what you mean by come to your senses, because we saw the field. We saw the dozen or 15 or so candidates. <laughs> and uh, uh, fair and enough. frankly, uh, you know, yes, Joe Biden is appears to be a doddering uh, man who's really beyond uh, the, the energy that's needed to be a president, no matter whether you agree with him or not. He, if he becomes president, he'll be a figurehead. And... Uh, the government will be run by the the Obama people who've been in exile for the last three and a half years. So, you know, that's apparently the Democrats have decided that's their best shot to put Biden out there, and then they can all come back and reclaim their jobs. Uh, 
in the new Democratic well, but so, but so, but, but so, is there anything? You know, I just I don't know if you heard the earlier segment. I was saying I called it the Bernie trap. Bernie said, "I'm staying in. Here's a list of questions, Joe. I'm going to quiz you on Sunday for two hours. Let's see how you hold up. And I'm not going to say much more than look out at the camera and kind of put my eyebrow up, like you think this guy can go against Trump. I mean, I think that's what Bernie's. He's doubled down. I think it's diabolically wonderful play. But I guess the question is, do do Democrat voters care? I mean, you know, at this point, James Carville's screaming at the camera, shut it down, shut it down. The primary is over. We should just shut it down. I guess they just, as you say, they're just willing to roll out the uh, roll out the Biden and see how it goes. I, I, I get back to my point. Is there anything that, you know, could do you think the dynamic can change on Sunday or do you think it's already, you know, all played out? Well, um, it's a it's a long time between now and the election, and uh, I think there are certainly events that can happen, or are certain to happen, which will shake up the race long before the political conventions, let alone the election. I don't think the debate. Um, no, I really don't think the debate will shake it up that much. And one reason, Ed, uh, is I doubt that Bernie Sanders is really going to be tough enough to discredit Joe Biden. I don't think he really has it in him to make personal attacks on Joe Biden. He He's not going to ask Joe about Hunter Biden, for instance. And he's not going to challenge uh, Joe Biden for his uh, mental health and whether he's really up to the job, because after all, uh, you know, Sanders has health problems, too. I mean, he just had a heart attack, and he's refusing to release his medical records. So uh, with those factors, I don't see the debate, uh, you know, I'd be loved to be pro- proven wrong, because we've had some exciting moments in the previous debates. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, we uh, haven't John, we haven't uh, we haven't seen that uh, that that Bernie. Uh, I mean, after all, he let uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, run all over yeah, him, yeah. and he didn't really fight yeah, back yeah. against her. Uh, well, so, that's a good. That's a good. That's a very good. That's a, that's a good. That's a good thing to say. He, uh, Bernie Sanders may not have it in him to take take him take it to him like he needs to, and if he doesn't, they'll prop him up, right? The media will let him through. Yeah. Uh, John, I'd be remiss. We just have a couple minutes left. Uh, today is the anniversary of four years ago when your mother, Phyllis Schlafly, historically endorsed Donald Trump for president. She'd written about him uh, dozens of times, but she finally endorsed him a few days before the Missouri primary, which he went on to win. Um, and obviously, we've talked a lot about that. But his speech tonight at the Oval Office, I don't know if you out of the Oval Office. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, but I, I guess to me tonight, he looked, you know, again, I'm, I'm partial. I'm partisan a bit, not a bit, a lot. Uh, but he looked presidential, right? He looked like, I mean, he looked like a guy that could do the job. You, you know, it's, it's a tough job. There's a million things going on. I guess you must uh, sometimes kind of, you know, see what's happened and smile and think of your mom and just and, and just realize it, uh, it, it worked out maybe better than any of us could have imagined. Maybe she imagined it. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yes, that was a great day, Ed. You and I were there, both of us, of course, and it was a great rally. It was a typical Trump rally. We've seen so many dozens or hundreds of them, really, although this was in a fairly small venue. It was not one of these big auditorium, you know, uh, it was in an opera house. It was a, you know, plush red velvet with gold leaf on the (laughs) ceilings and all that. There were 3,500 seats, which was fairly small for a Trump rally. But the people there, I mean, 
they were just as excited to be there as any other Trump rally. And they were excited to hear Phyllis and to hear Trump after she gave him her endorsement. So it was a great day yeah. for St. Louis. And the election a few days later, the primary election, you know, that it ratified what she said and what he said in St. Louis. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. And of course, it was a Trump rally. So remember the upper deck, they started chanting at some point. I forget whether it was when he was coming out or before. And they, you know, they were always raucous. And it was great. uh, It was great fun. And and uh, and as you say, it was but it's amazing to see all these years later now what uh, what Phyllis saw and, you know, and what uh, and where we are. All right. Last question, John. I know you and I have been debating this, so I'm saying it with a smile. But the coronavirus now, now your president has done a national address to say, hey, we got to get serious. Now your president, John, has said no more travel from Europe. Keep those people out of here because they're bringing their bad stuff because they don't have good policies, they don't have good vetting. Now your president has said we got to get our, ourselves and work together. We'll get through it, but it's a big threat. Are you willing now, John, to concede that this is a big deal? Well, um, you, you know, diseases coming across the borders is a subject that Phyllis Schlafly wrote about. She cared about. She, of course, she was talking about the southern border and people bringing in tropical diseases from Mexico. But uh, uh, diseases can come by air now. And uh, there's no question we've got to have a much greater uh, barrier around our country and to check people coming in, including their health. And, you know, as, as anyone who knows about the history of immigration in our country and Ellis Island and all of that, the reason immigrants went to an island in the middle of New York Harbor is to, so, is for, was primarily for disease. And they were checked for disease, primarily, uh, tuberculosis. And if they were sick, they were sent back. And, uh, now, that's the way immigration was handled in, at Ellis Island 100 years ago. And we need to go back to the idea that uh, people who come into this country need to not just check their passports, but to check their lungs and, and to see if they're going to infect the rest of us if, they, if we let them in. So I'm all in favor of that type of testing. All right, good. So you've, you've conceded that I was correct. All right, thank you, John. Let's go. We better cut to the cut to commercial now while I got that high ground. Uh, thank you, John. As always, John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report, available at townhall.com, posts, uh, posts on Tuesday afternoon, sometimes early evening, and then available archived at phyllisschlafly.com. John, we'll talk again next week. Thank you. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. And uh, I'm just watching on Twitter. I don't even know what this means. No, you'll have to explain this. I don't even know what the masked singer is, but it appears to be one of these. It's one of these shows that has performing people and graded things and and Sarah Palin was on The Masked Singer tonight, singing with Sir Mix-a-Lot. I don't, I don't even know what to make of this, except that I didn't see it covered anywhere until I just got on Twitter a minute ago. It's trending now. So, actually, I, I love seeing Sarah Palin. I, I, Sarah Palin is one of those people that burst on the scene with more talent than anybody realized, and then she was treated terribly, terribly unkindly. Um, and I've never met her. I don't think I've met her. I don't think I've ever met her, but I know folks that know her, and she's a pretty neat lady, I think. So, um, but... Uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. So there you have it. Okay, well, back to the back to the work we're doing here. Uh, 
great to be with you. And don't forget the answer, San Diego.com to find the show podcast and everything. People are asking about that. All right. I do have an update. A couple things. There is actually th- something else happening in the world other than uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and of course, coronavirus. And uh, a lot of things, actually. Uh, you know, we heard with John Schlafly a minute ago, some of the state legislatures are in full swing doing things that are either good or bad. Certain states are doing great conservative stuff. Idaho's doing some good things. Up in Iowa, there's some good things happening. Uh, Virginia's doing terrible things. But uh, so there's lots going on in policy wise. But here's one that was pretty cool. We followed this story last week um, about this change that President Trump uh, did, which was if you come to America trying to get asylum, remember this, and you come into America in the old days, they used to come to America and they'd ask for asylum and then we would say, "Okay, we'll process that and we'd release the people into America. And a lot of times they would disappear. Maybe never come back, maybe come back and miss a bunch of uh, court dates. It would get convoluted. And, and, you know, here we are. So President Trump said, look, if you're going to come and apply for asylum as we process it, you can wait in Mexico. Well, once you take away the magnet for getting into oh, one more detail, a lot of times when people applied for asylum or refugee status, it would take months, not months, six months, sometimes a year, 18 months, two years. So you'd get to be in America for two years. If you're trying to get to America, uh, you know, there's jobs, there's more opportunities. Again, I've always said over and over, if I wasn't an American, I'd, I'd try everything I could do to get to America. I wouldn't want to break the law, but I mean, I would want to be here. So back to this policy, President Trump's administration said, look, we'll let you apply. We're not going to tell people they can't apply for asylum or refugee status, but you can wait in Mexico. And once you do that policy change, a lot of folks say, boy, that's not worth the trouble, because if I'm not going to actually get it, I'm not. And it's a huge change. Of course, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals had said, oh, no, we won't allow that to happen in Arizona and California. Well, the Supreme Court today uh, said, no, no. Uh, we're going to allow the policy to stay in place while the litigation continues. In other words, we're going to stay the Ninth Circuit's attempt to stop that policy from happening. They were going to the Ninth Circuit was saying you must allow this to keep the people to come and stay in America. And, and we're going to let the Trump administration use that policy and we'll let it keep going through the courts. And we'll let it go up through the Court of Appeals if it needs to go to the Supreme Court. But in the interim, the policy will now stay in effect that if you come and apply for refugee status and asylum status, you have to wait for your stuff to come up, your policy, your your uh, your um, appeal, uh, your application to be uh, reviewed. You wait in Mexico. That's a huge deal. It's one of those uh, things that doesn't maybe sound big to your ear, but if you talk to the folks from like Center for Immigration Studies and those folks, they tell you it's such a big deal because it changes the entire way that the people in Mexico and Guatemala and Honduras and Ecuador that are trying to come up through and get into America, it's how they look at the process because the process then is against, it's not incentivized to have them come. So it's a great change. It's a great change. All right. Another one. I got a text from one of our listeners, uh, Steve, Steve in San Diego, who said to me, more, we need more coverage of the census. I agree. In three weeks, they'll be counting people in the census. And it's just not clear to me that anyone is paying attention to the details about the census. So I'm, I put a call into the administration, the Trump administration. We're going to get a guest on the show, if not uh, this week, Monday or Tuesday, and we'll talk more about that. I promise you we will start to cover this uh, in depth uh, and, and get a lot more details. I don't see anyone in America addressing the census. So we will. 
We have to. So you understand what's going on. We'll take care of it, and uh, we will be on that. So you will you can count on that and uh, look forward to it. Thank you, Steve, for that text. I don't ha- as, I'm, as I mentioned in a text back to you, I didn't have the answer you wanted right now, but we'll get it. We'll get it. We'll find out. All right, tomorrow I'm going over to the White House for breakfast. I've never been to the White House mess. There is a White House, like a cafeteria that the staff are allowed to use, and one of my friends in there said, you want to come meet? We have a meeting there with a couple of folks on some policy issues. So I'll report back on that. I don't know if they'll screen me for coronavirus will they i don't know i certainly am not going to see the president but uh we'll uh, we'll see all right so uh thank you for listening again we'll look forward to tomorrow night as as always be in touch and uh, you can get me ed at edmartinlive.com i forgot to tell you my email address earlier ed at edmartinlive.com you can also go to at eagle ed martin on twitter thank you to noah our great technical director for keeping us uh coronavirus free and things on track thank you to joanna for helping produce the show and for our guests and mostly for our listeners we'll be back tomorrow night it's ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you then